0: As Christians, one of the most abiding interests that we have is how can we better witness for Jesus? And you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? You meet people who do not know the Lord Jesus. You get into conversations with them, and you have this Desire that wells up in your heart. You want to share Christ with them. You want to share Jesus with them, but you're not quite sure how. And you wonder, what can I say to this person to make them pay attention? And what can I say to this person to persuade them? How can I share Jesus with them? Actually, that is one of the main questions that the book of Acts brings us to. Over and over, because throughout Acts, we see how the Spirit filled and empowered people do just that. They, being filled with the Holy Spirit, they bear witness for Jesus. And we began to see that last week, how Peter began his first sermon in verse 14. He first drew from Joel chapter 2 to proclaim Jesus. And now, in this passage, that we just read Peter draws from Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 and that brings us to the first uh, point and that is we proclaim Jesus from Scripture we proclaim Jesus from Scripture you know as you all know Peter certainly had a very colorful testimony Uh, Stemming from his dramatic failures, as well as equally dramatic redemption and restoration. But if you hear how Peter shares the gospel, Peter bears witness to Jesus, he doesn't do what a lot of us today have been told to do. We've been told to share the gospel in terms of, I believed in Jesus and look how Jesus changed my life. I am a changed man. Look what wonderful things he has done to me. Can't you see? Now, there is certainly a time and a place for that. There is time and a place to let people know, you know, my faith in Jesus, it actually does make pragmatic and practical differences in life. And this is what Jesus has done. This is how he has rescued me. So there is a time for that, and there is a place for that. But nevertheless, Peter, with all his colorful stories doesn't begin the, the proclamation of the gospel by saying, look what happened to me. But rather, Peter keeps the focus squarely on Jesus. And he proclaims him as the fulfillment of the Old Testament hope. Now sometimes I think it's very easy to forget that the Old Testament was the only scripture that the earliest Christians had. You know, the first generations of Christians, Jesus' disciples, and the people that the disciples called and gathered to the Lord Jesus, the only scripture they had were the Old Testament because the New Testament was not yet written. But just as their master Jesus revealed himself from the Old Testament So the earliest Christians also found in the Old Testament clear and relevant testimonies of Jesus. And what that tells us at the very basic level is this, that we as Christians cannot ignore the Old Testament. I'm sure you are familiar in some circles, uh, they said the Old Testament is no longer relevant or even necessary for Christians, uh, that's very uh, misguided because we as Christians, we need to recognize that both the Old and the New Testaments are together, the Christian Scripture. So at the very basic level, uh, we need to recognize that. And at the same time, we need to recognize that Scripture is the best and the most persuasive resource that we have to share, Christ. Now, um, certainly, well-crafted apologetics, philosophical arguments, scientific discussions, historical discussions, uh, the evidence and proof from archaeology, all those things can be very helpful. And they can be a wonderful resource for us. But the resources and the instruments that we create with the best of intentions cannot equal the convicting authority and the fruit-bearing power of Scripture. And so if we would be competent witnesses for Jesus, we need to be steeped in Scripture. And that's the first thing we need to understand. Proclaim Jesus from Scripture. And by no means am I saying that our personal testimony has no value. They do. In, in a proper place, at the proper time, our personal testimonies have great value. And by no means am I saying that apologetics or Discussions, Intellectual discussions have no value. They do. They're wonderfully helpful. But first and foremost, we proclaim Christ from Scripture because the best of our works, our resources cannot match the Scripture's power to convict and to save. So if you want to be good witnesses for Jesus, be saturated with God's Word. And we see that in action here as we come to see how Peter deals with two Old Testament passages. The first one is Psalm 16 and the second is Psalm 110. And in these two Psalms, Peter makes an uh, opposite point. So the second thing that we see is Peter declaring the man of Psalm 16, the man of Psalm 16. So Peter... This is how he continues his sermon. Men of Israel, hear these words: Jesus of Nazareth, a man, a man. If uh, it's what's really interesting is that this is actually the very first thing that Peter says about Jesus, because the Joel two passage he quoted in the first part of his sermon. It was really focused on the promise and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and Peter hadn't yet begun to speak about Jesus just yet. And when it comes to saying something about Jesus, the very first thing that Peter says is that Jesus of Nazareth, a oh, man. That is to say, the very first thing that Peter says about Jesus is that God sent. A man. And Jesus as a man embodied both God's power and tenderness. Notice what Peter says Jesus was attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. Jesus was no mere mortal like us. Though he was man, In his person and in his body, God's power and might were embodied. And so Jesus' various signs demonstrated him as one who had power over the physical nature. You remember how Jesus rebuked the storm, and the raging storm was stilled. And you remember how Jesus um, blessed and multiplied bread and fish to feed the thousands. Jesus had power and authority over physical nature. And Jesus also had power and authority over moral realms. You remember how Jesus forgave sin. And just the same, he also judged the hypocrisy and sins of man. Jesus had power and authority over moral realms. And Jesus had power and authority over spiritual realms. Even the demons, unclean spirits, obeyed. And so when you look at Jesus' powers displayed over the physical nature or in the moral realms or over spiritual beings, each and every case, we were left wondering, just as people back then were left wondering, who but God can do this? And that's what Peter means when he says that Jesus was attested to you by God with mighty works in the person and in the body of Jesus, in that man sent by God, we saw God's amazing power that left us with this question, this terribly urgent question, who but God can do this? And yet this man who embodied God's power was also made to suffer. And this is what we see both God's power and but also his tenderness because it was God's plan to and it was according to God's plan that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Now it's interesting because just a few passages prior we saw how the apostles and the holy spirit speaking through them laid uh, the blame squarely at the f- at the foot of Judas Iscariot he betrayed Jesus Jesus's death was the result of Judas's betrayal and here peter says that god delivered him up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge and later peter says that that jesus was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men And you see here that there were many causes leading up to the death and the crucifixion of Jesus. But nevertheless, Peter says that it was according to God's plan and foreknowledge. Now some people hear the word foreknowledge and they think that God is merely predicting and observing the things that will take place. And he is reacting. That is not what Peter is saying at all. What Peter means by um, definite plan and foreknowledge is that God ordained himself the crucifixion and the death of his son. The question is why? You see, God appointed Jesus to meet men and women in their most bitter pain. Jesus was betrayed, you know, not by the people that Jesus harmed. Jesus was betrayed by the very people who tasted his goodness. It was an enemy who sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It was a friend that betrayed him with a kiss. One of the most bitter experiences of life is when the people that you loved and trusted turned from you. And not only that, Jesus was crucified and killed. That is to say, as man and with man, Jesus entered into a full fellowship with the suffering and broken people. But Jesus does not merely meet us in our brokenness. He raises us up with him. And so this is when Peter is reflecting upon Psalm 16, because in Psalm 16, King David, uh, by the Holy Spirit, is speaking of Jesus' death-conquering life. And so in the Psalm, David says, uh, in the voice of the Son of God, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption." Death is the wages of sin. And the death that Jesus died was ours. But Jesus was himself pure, and he was righteous. And so consequently, god did not allow death to hold jesus one minute longer than was necessary to pay our death and that is why in the psalm the son of god speaks you have made known to me the paths of life you will make me full of gladness in your presence and so as man he died as man He rose. Jesus joined himself to us in our misery so that he may lift us up into gladness. So that is the man of Psalm 16. And then Peter brings us to the third point, the Lord of Psalm 110. Because you see, Peter does not want us to miss the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus was a man, and amazingly, he remains man, in, even in his glory. But Jesus was a man, and, because, and that was necessary in order for him to be counted as David's descendant. God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne That's why Jesus had to be a man in order that he may be counted as David's descendant to inherit David's throne. But the throne that Jesus inherits is actually better than David's throne because David, as Peter reminds us, both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. That is to say, with his death, David's reign came to an end. When he died... He ceased to be a king. But David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. In other words, Jesus inherited and surpassed David's throne and Jesus' reign will never come to an end because Jesus lives and He lives forever. And notice how Jesus is exalted far beyond any mortal man, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. That is to say, Jesus' throne stands right next to God's own. And Jesus himself fulfills the promise that God made in the Old Testament. Having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. In other words, the promise that God made, Jesus fulfills. And so the picture that emerges is that God reigns with and through Jesus. God sends the Spirit with and through Jesus. And Jesus is God's power exerted outward towards us. And Jesus is the very face of God's kindness. And Jesus is the very pledge of God's unrivaled and peerless love to us. And that is why Peter now cites a very well-known passage from Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You see, in that psalm, David saw the Lord Jehovah speaking to the one who will come to receive his own throne. In that psalm, David sees by the Holy Spirit Jehovah Lord speaking to one of his descendants. But surprisingly, David calls him that descendant who will come from his line. David calls him, my Lord. And that's unthinkable. Why would you say a a distant child of yours, someone who will come from your line, is in any way going to be your Lord. And what David is getting at there is that Jesus is by the virtue of his human nature, David's heir, but he is also by his divine nature, God's peer and David's Lord. So Peter concludes, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, it's really fascinating because if you read these sermons that are recorded in Acts, even the very sermon that we just read, it won't take us more than a couple of minutes to read. And most certainly, Peter's sermon that there was longer than two minutes. And so, what Luke has done is to give us a very brief synopsis, a little summary of the thing that Peter preached, so that having the scriptures in our hands, we may go back to these scriptures and think and ask questions. What is it that Peter is saying about Jesus? That he, the man. In his humanity, he joined himself to our misery and death. That as man, he may lift us up out of misery and death. And that he, the Lord, received the worship and the honor of David. And that he is God's, pierced by God's side. That God, through him and with him, accomplishes his purpose through Jesus And this is Jesus, according to Scripture. In death, He shares our sorrow. In His resurrection, we share His glory. And this is the gospel message. And so we have to ask, was He crucified for you? Was He crucified for you? That is to say, Are you broken by sin and are you hopeless? That's what we want to get to when we talk to unbelievers, people that don't know Jesus. We want to tell them, Jesus, he united himself to our misery and he rose to be our hope that he is the Lord God But he was crucified. And we want to ask them Was Jesus crucified for you? That is, are you broken by sin and are you hopeless? Some people, when you ask this question, will readily see the truth of this question and they will say, Yes, I need Jesus. Other people will deny that they are broken, that they are sinners, that they are hopeless. And that is why we need to shine scripture into the darkness. Because only God's light will show them how broken they are. Again, apologetics so helpful, testimony so helpful, and yet it is God's word that will shine the light into their darkness. It is God's word that will show them how broken And hopeless they are. That is why we proclaim Christ from Scripture. And that is how we show them Jesus. And so we can tell them that Jesus was crucified for them and He rose for them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come before you and we acknowledge your power and your grace through your Son, Jesus Christ. And our ardent desire is that we may all become faithful witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant us, Lord, the right words to speak, grant us opportunities and means, and help us to know that all the wisdom that we need, all the resources, insight that we need come to us from your word so help us to be bold help us to be faithful that we may bear witness for jesus for it is in his name we pray amen